I am Elle Penelope, author of Epic Fantasy and Paranormal Romance, and welcome to My Imaginary Friends, a look behind the scenes of an author mapping the worlds in my head and making them a reality. Hello, friends. Today is Saturday, September 4th, 2021, and this is episode 136 of My Imaginary Friends. I'm Leslie. So this week's best thing was the Wheel of Time trailer for the new television show on Amazon Prime based on the book series by Robert Jordan. It looked really great, and I'm excited about it. Um, I read several of the books. I read the first seven, I believe. I can never remember if it's six or seven, Um, but this was way before I got married, so it must have been 15 years ago, maybe more. Um could be like 20. I'd have to look up and see when when that seventh book came out. It was newish, I think. And so I really enjoyed those books. Uh, my brother introduced me to them. He recently reread the whole series. So he had never finished it. I think he stopped around the same time I did because there were no more books at that time. And then what did it get to? 12, 13? Obviously, I'm not super knowledgeable on the series. Uh, but he went through it over several months like maybe a year and from beginning to end and he was telling me about them and he was telling me how you know Brandon Sanderson had to finish the 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 series because Robert Jordan passed away before the series ended which I knew he didn't have to tell me that but just the style of writing that changed and the things that he liked and didn't liked about the different styles um he did say that the last in the last few books Robert Jordan did begin to meander and and go in lots of different directions and, you know, I admire his, his efforts in rereading. Um, but I will not be doing that. And I watched that trailer and I realized I remember nothing about those books. I have like vague little flashes of memory of a character or a situation, but I remember nothing. And I could reread the first book, but I like not remembering anything because I can come to the TV show fresh. Uh, cause usually when I come to a show or a movie with like close intimate knowledge of the source material, I'm disappointed by the visual representation. So this way, it usually works better if I watch the thing and then read the book afterwards. And I feel like I had a better viewing experience. Now my reading experience does suffer at that point because, you know, whatever is fresh in your mind is the thing that you're comparing the next thing to. So I'd rather compare the book to the movie or the TV show than the other way around, just so I can sit back and relax and enjoy the show. That's like literally what they say at the beginning of movies. Uh, but yes, I am I am excited about that. And if anyone is interested in reading the books and hasn't, because uh, my friend had texted me, she's like, has anyone read these books? And I'm like, yeah, no, I really did like them. Now, this was years ago, so my tastes might have changed. And I don't know if they hold up, if there's, you know, racism or sexism in them. I mean, the whole thing is about women have the magic, have the, the positive magic, right? And men the magic has been corrupted. So the men's version of the magic is corrupt. So that is my recollection of the basic concept. And we have our chosen one, Rand Althor. I remember him. I remember Egwine and Perrin and Nineve. I don't even know if I'm saying that right. Vaguely, vaguely. And I remember getting to book six or seven and feeling exhausted. Um, but that was really my, my introduction to epic fantasy. Um, I never read... Like a lot of, especially women fantasy writers, they were introduced to fantasy with Dragon Riders of Pern, um, Anne McCaffrey. I mean, I did read Ursula Le Guin in eighth grade. We had to read 
uh, let Earth see in English class. So maybe that was actually my first experience, but I don't remember it ch- it changing me in any way. I don't I don't remember that book uh, affecting me in any way. Uh, so yeah, I think that Wheel of Time really got me into epic fantasy. I still haven't read most of like the classics, but and I, at this point, that's probably not going to change. Um, but yeah, as far as the show goes, I'm all in. Honorable mention for this week's best thing goes to this random YouTube video I came across, which is a flash mob of a professional company, theater company, singing um, One Day More from Les Mis in a mall. It is the most fantastic thing that I've seen in quite a while. I will link to it. I highly recommend it. I love Les Mis. Les Mis, um, I was not like a theater kid, but I have a younger brother who is a a professional actor and has been acting since elementary school. And my mother was an actress, a a thwarted actress. Um, Both of my parents were sort of thwarted artists because of their parents. Their parents were like, you need to eat food. So if you want to do art, you can teach it, but you can't just do it. My father was a painter. My mother was an actress and neither of them became professional artists. Uh, So they really encouraged my brother and I when we wanted to major in film and major in acting and become a writer and an actor. Anyway, Les Mis, uh, even though I was not a theater kid, I love musicals. Growing up in the house that I did, I saw lots of them. I saw lots of children performing musicals. Um, a high school performance of Les Mis is not something that I would be interested in. But when I saw it, uh, I remember we saw Les Mis at the National Theater in Washington, D.C. whenever. I was like, I was like a teenager. And uh, we were like in one of the first three rows. So next craned up. I was sobbing uncontrollably for two and a half hours. <laughs> like that is probably the most I've cried in public other than when I saw Bjark in uh, Dancer in the Dark, the film by Lars von Trier, which is literally the most I've ever cried in public. That movie destroyed me. I was on a date. We saw this movie at a film festival. I'm sobbing. He has no idea what to do. Fun times. Flash Mob of Les Mis is great. I wish I was in a mall when a flash mob of amazing singers started singing amazing music. It's never happened to me yet, but you know, there's time. Writing update. I am in the home stretch of this revision. I'm revising The Monsters We Defy, which is my 1925 fantasy heist story, and I'm coming up on the end. I am going to see if I can finish a few days early because I am traveling this week and I had blocked off a few days of not writing because of that. But it might be possible for me to get it done before I leave, which would be amazing. Like if I push through this weekend, write every day this weekend and um, the next couple of days, because I got ahead yesterday, um, I got ahead of schedule. There were several scenes at the end, which were actually required very little revision. And then there were some big scenes at the end, which I still have to do. But I got through the smaller scenes much faster than I than I'd scheduled. So we might be looking at an early finish at a few days of not looking at it. And then my final read through and turning this thing in earlier than expected. So that always makes me happy. I think I can push through and do this. So wish me luck. <laughs> As far as the mechanics of the revision, it it's still been going well. Like I I planned it out really well. There's, you can't plan everything, or at least I can't. <laughs> Other writers apparently can, but um, 
you know, I, I plan it very well for me, very comprehensively. And so there's still things that I find that I want to change or opportunities that I didn't plan for that I couldn't see, you know, weeks or months ago, that now that I'm in it, and now that I've written a bunch of other words, just those doors, those pathways open up and you're like, oh, what if I do this? And so I have a couple of index cards. I did have some ideas that I discarded. Like, that would be really cool, but I don't have time for that. And how much would it add? Like, would pushing me back, like the cost-benefit ratio, you know, is the cost of pushing it back worth the benefit of what this idea could provide? And I don't think it was in this particular instance. Sometimes it is. And sometimes like when you're at the, at the wire like this, you have a great idea. You have to figure out, is it laziness <laughs> that, that, that makes me say, no, don't do that? Is it tiredness? Because sometimes in other parts of the process, like I had this idea in um, earlier when I was drafting and I was like, oh no, I don't want to do that. And then come back around to revision and I'm actually doing that. Um, so each, each thing has to be evaluated on its own merit, but this idea would have been cool, but I think it would have actually taken away from some of the momentum that I'm building towards. So that's another thing to consider. Uh, but I put it on the index card and it's there and, you know, I haven't turned it in yet. So there's still time. It's always still time. But, um, yeah, as I, I had planned a scene, a new scene. And then as I was getting towards it, I was like, I don't think I need it. I, I had meant to set it up in earlier chapters and I hadn't found a way to do that without just it feeling forced. So if, when I got to the scene that hadn't been set up, I was like, oh, I can't write it the way that I intended. Is there another way to get this information out? And I found other ways that were even better for the other scenes. You know, I was able to, to layer it in other places and it could contribute to the character development. Um, and, you know, the shape of other scenes. I've been a little bit worried about adding some of the things that my editor asked for in terms of sort of the, the crew relationship of this heist crew and just beefing it up, making it a little bit lighter, adding some more banter, adding some more character development. But I found a really great way to do it, in my opinion. I was writing with my friend Inez one morning and uh, I was like, yeah, I wrote a comedy routine. <laughs> it's not technically a comedy routine, but... It's like after a moment of heaviness, there's the end, the scene ends in a moment of lightness. And I was able to, I think, incorporate that sort of lightness, that team cohesiveness that I agree that the story needed, um, reveal some character, push forward some relationships and do it in a way that was entertaining to me at the very least. So yeah, I, I, you know, I enjoy revision. I love revision. It's hard there's there's still something coming that I'm not sure if I've got planned right. I mean, I'm pretty sure I have planned wrong. And I have to, you know, on the fly, figure out what's right, what feels right, what's right for the story and the characters. And it's the hard part, you know, it's the juggling part. But it's also the satisfying part because my brain is working in the background. And when I get to the part I need to get to, when I get to that section, um, I have a lot of faith that it will work out and that the the pathway will, will show itself to me like it has before. And that's really the invigorating, exciting part of pulling the story together, wrangling it, and then shaping it, you know, um, 
chiseling away at the clay until the sculpture reveals itself inside. And that's, and that's what I feel like I'm doing. Also, the Kickstarter that I am a part of is still going on. So it's called Three Time Travelers Walk Into A, and it is a science fiction, I think mine will be fantasy though, anthology with a bunch of amazing authors. There'll be an opportunity for other writers to submit to be included in the anthology if it funds. There is still my Tuckerization available, which is the opportunity for you to name one of the characters in my story. My story is going to feature three time travelers, Zora Neale Hurston, the Queen of Sheba, and Tatuba, who is from the Salem Witch Trials, um, going on an adventure, meeting one another, and and doing something that I have not as yet figured out. I will write the story after the Kickstarter funds, and I will figure out what's happening. I have my little, you know, baby ideas. But link will be in the show notes for this, and it has about another, when this comes out, when this podcast comes out, I think I'll have like a week or so left. So we're over halfway there. We need to get over the hump. I I would love to write this story and and have this anthology be out there because it seems like a lot of fun. So check out the link and sponsor it if you are able to. It will be a, a great little palette cleanser in between all of these longer projects that I'm working on. I also want to recommend the most recent episode of Writing Excuses as I write this, as I record this. It is the, um, Season 16, episode 35, What is the Mice Quotient? And so what they're doing this season on the, on the podcast is, uh, breaking it into like eight episode masterclasses. And this one is the beginning of the Mice Quotient one which is a thing that Mary Robinette Cowell, one of the hosts, talks about a lot. And I thought that her explanation in this episode was really good. And it's going to be more episodes diving deep uh, in future weeks into it. So uh, I have that link in the show notes. Something that one of the other hosts, Howard Taylor, said that I thought was great was spontaneity is not the same as creativity. And I think they were talking a little bit about Plotters and pantsers, and they're kind of agnostic, you know, on that. I, I think everybody on every host or the main hosts are, are plotters. Um, I do think it is difficult to completely pants and be and hit deadlines regularly. Certain, I mean, certainly people are able to do that, but, but I think the context of the quote was that, um, you know, we have these bursts of, of inspiration that when they come are amazing, but you cannot rely on them and be a professional author. You have to do the work and sit there and, um, and, and rely on something other than pure muse inspired, you know, magic to come into your fingertips. Um, and, and shaping and changing and plotting and, tweaking and layering. They were talking about revisions and doing many layers of, of storytelling um, is part of the process. So it might not sound as like sexy as, you know, this inspiration hit me and I wrote all night long and I had this wonderful thing. Um, but that's just not sustainable. And the spontaneity is wonderful, but the creativity is not the same. It comes regularly. It comes with... Um, with training, you know, like the way that I've trained myself to, to write in the mornings early before I was published, when I was just, you know, I was in classes and workshops from writing, I would stay up really late and write. I, I'm by nature a night owl. And so I thought that was the way that I had to do it. But 
I was exhausted all the time. I was waking up at 10, 11, noon sometimes. I was not on people hours. I'm self-employed and have been for a very long time. So I can do things like that, (laughs) but I wasn't happy and it wasn't as productive as uh, I thought I could be. So I switched to regular people hours. I would always say I was on West Coast time, you know, like I never, I never got off West Coast time after I moved from California. Uh, but that's just an excuse. Uh, so I switched to regular people hours. And then at a certain point, I started waking up very early to write. And I've trained myself that, you know, get the writing done first, wake up early. And the creativity is always there. You know, sometimes you do need to fill your well and replenish it, but it's always there. And I find Personally, it's better when I'm fresher and the other forces and factors of the day haven't come in to interrupt me. Which brings me to the next article that I that I saw that I wanted to link to, which is from Tim Grawl, who is a marketing person and story grid person. Um, but it's called The Myth of Being Too Busy or The Myth of Too Busy. And the first line is, I would love to strike the word busy from every writer's vocabulary. And this is actually something I get when I do workshops and um, talk to people. So many people are like, I don't have time to write. I can't find the time to write. Um, I've got kids and husband, job, wife, partner, whatever, um, animals. <laughs> and it is, it's hard to find the time. But the thing that... Uh, this article says that I found to be true as well, is it's not about being busy. It's about prioritizing. So like the truth of busyness is you've prioritized other things other than writing. You've prioritized sleeping more or watching television or, and not necessarily bad things, like not necessarily these selfish, awful things, but other things have been prioritized. You can prioritize washing the dishes. (laughs) If you are a person that needs the dishes washed before you can write, and I know people like that, then, you know, that's what you've done. So what you have to say is, if I want to write, how can I prioritize that so that it gets done? I recommend that, especially if you're a person who is finding it difficult to find time to do the things that you want to do. Um, he has a whole book called Running Down a Dream, which is excellent. I highly recommend that also. It's about his personal journey to, I mean, He's, he's been a very successful book marketer, and he's moved into hosting the Story Grid podcast and then creating a whole new business with uh, Sean Coyne, who wrote the Story Grid and is an editor and agent, uh, former agent. And so, you know, Tim Grawl is a person with married with children and multiple successful businesses who has, you know, has dealt with mental health issues and injuries and just all kinds of issues that, you know, many of us can relate to, and so has found ways to make it work. And I think it's really helpful to listen to people who have found ways to make it work, who are not super people. You know, there are super people out there who are road scholars. They have MDs and JDs and MBAs and MFAs. And, you know, they run triathlons and like, no, those people aren't helpful. (laughs) Don't listen to them (laughs) or listen to them if you want, but I don't find them helpful because I can't do those things. Um, But people who are a little bit a little bit more relatable and have done things that you think are very cool and would like to do. Those are the people that I like to listen to. I don't know why my voice is failing me, but I think that means it's time to call a close to this episode. I do have some Q&A though that I wanted to do. 
So if you have a question for me, please write me at podcast at lpenelope.com. And if you ever want to comment on an episode, you can do that at lpenelope.com slash podcast or on the YouTube video. Question is, what is your favorite social media platform? I like Instagram. I like Instagram um, not because I'm a great photographer or even like taking pictures that much, but it seems more manageable to me. I'm introverted. Crafting replies on Twitter or Facebook sometimes just takes a lot out of me. Instagram, you know, I do try to reply to people as much as I can, but sometimes I can't and I feel like it's more forgiving. (laughs) Could be in my mind. But yeah, Instagram is my favorite format just because it's a little bit less, a less talky. Like you can, people comment and that's wonderful. And I, invite you to comment on my Instagram, but um, it's not the same expectation of conversation, like a Twitter chat or thread or whatever it is. I mean, between multiple people will go on and on and on. And sometimes I'm like, when does this end? I I get, you know, uh, I'm not sure exactly of the social expectations. Um, Instagram feels like there are fewer expectations. And I, I like that. Which character of yours that you loved writing do you also think you would not get along with in real life? I'm going to go with Helix. I love Helix. Helix is an angel that appears in Angel Born and Angel Fall, my Eternal Flame uh, series. Fan favorite, author favorite, love him. Don't think we'd get along in real life because he's kind of a jerk. (laughs) He's one of those fun jerks to write. I, I, I don't know that I would actually want to meet him. And that's it for me for this week. My goals for the coming week, finish this revision, finish this book, let it sit for at least a few days, and then I can do my final read through and send it on to my editor. (sighs) Looking forward to that so much. And I hope to talk to you next week. For episode show notes and to sign up for the footnotes newsletter and get the show notes in your inbox, go to myimaginaryfriendsshow.com, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and watch the video episodes on YouTube. I would really appreciate a rating or review to help support the show. And My Imaginary Friends is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. For more fantastic podcasts, go to frolic.media slash podcasts.